Episode 22, Advocate versus Rehabilitation. What's the line with counseling sex offenders? I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we hear Dr. Shiloh Katanese perspective. For doctors who want a thriving practice and abundant home life, listen as your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, goes behind the curtain and interviews doctors and guests about real-world triumph, struggles, practical tips, and entertainment on this episode of A Doctor's Perspective. I've got something special for everybody. Well, the first on the episode 25, episode 25 will be a solo episode. My first one, kind of talking about why I'm in the chiropractic, China, answering questions that other people have had. So if you still have any questions, just let me know. Justin at a doctor's perspective.net is the email. We're also going to have new artwork starting episode 25. But what's exciting is from episode 22 through 26, it's a month worth of spotlight on women. We're going to have two psychologists, PhDs. We're going to have a doctor of chiropractor working in one of the most expensive cities in the world. The most expensive, actually. And also a wonderful multi-author and social media expert coach from Australia. So stay tuned. Episode 22 through 26. It's going to be fun. Women's Month. Let's go. Today we had a great, great guest, Dr. Shiloh Katanese, a licensed forensic psychologist, aka a sort of real life sweets from the show Bones. She has a doctorate from the Alien International University in Los Angeles. She has done training and facilitating with students, lots of different law enforcement type of background. She counsels sex offenders and gets them prepared and their family for prison. She has a great view about that whole field. It should be really quite eye opening for you especially when you find out the percent of sexual offense repeaters. We also take it down a notch, okay? That's, it, that sounds pretty heavy. Uh, but the other half of the inv- interview, uh, we talk about taking a break from work, how to get CE credits abroad for traveling. We talk about her blog that she has, as well as ways to keep a relationship going strong. And she also has a pretty cool app that she likes for purchasing airline tickets. Just throw that out there. You doctors out there would prefer to help their patients and heal in the most natural way possible. We've got dialects like the Paleo Autoimmune Protocol, Pacific Carbohydrate Diet, and they're designed to help heal the body. Well, Primal Health and Nutrition's Paleo Perfection Grass-Fed Beef Collagen Protein was designed with these diets in mind. So regardless of the diet that you decide to recommend, products will comply. Comes in three flavors. Look, it's non-GMO, no sugar added, soy-free, allergen-free, gluten-free, dairy-free, plus the organic superfood blend. You can go to PrimalHN.com, use the code Primal doc as doc at checkout so you can receive an extra 10 percent off all the show notes can be found at a doctorperspective.net slash 22 let's go hashtag behind the curtain everybody welcome to the show today we have a very special guest we have a licensed forensic psychologist she holds a doctorate and master's degree in forensic psychology from alliant international university los angeles She currently conducts intake assessments, group treatment, and individual treatment with individuals convicted of sexual offenses. She's an independent level CASOMB certified sex offender treatment provider. She's worked with this clientele for over 10 years at the county, state, and federal levels. Her experience includes substance abuse treatment, dual diagnosis, neuropsychology, and facilitating support groups for individuals going through the legal system. Now, currently she supervises practicum students, interns, and psychological assistants, and provides them with initial trainings, weekly supervision meetings, and things like that. Now, she owns a private practice specializing in treating clients who have been convicted of sexual offense and who are anticipated incarceration. Additionally, she works with their family members of prisoners to adjust to life without their loved ones. 
and she's also taught at the graduate level, consulted with law enforcement agencies, and conducted trainings for law enforcement on various forensic psychology topics. On a side note, she's the creator of the travel and career blog, A Distant Mentality, which focuses on how to integrate travel into your professional experience. Put your hands together for Dr. Shiloh Katanese. Thank you so much. Thanks for reaching out. Absolutely. Okay, so forensic psychologist, sexual offense, this sounds like this could be a pretty heavy episode. So I think the best way to start is just to kind of talk about how did you get into this type of profession? Sure. You know, it wasn't really on my radar to be a licensed psychologist, but it just sort of happened to me. Um, I have a, a background in law enforcement and coming out of undergrad, um, that's what I wanted to do. I actually, I started as a police officer and then I was looking to go to the FBI and I really got into grad school just to make myself a more desirable candidate for the FBI. Um, and by the time I finished up, I really loved what I was doing. And I had got a conditional job offer from the FBI. And I also had a job offer from the company where I was interning. So I had these two wonderful things to pick from, realized that that sort of segue in my life that my goals had changed. So I decided to pursue clinical and forensic psychology. Wow. So talking to an almost FBI agent. Almost. So, so yeah, you're almost you bones. You're like bones on the TV show. <laughs> I'm sure you hear that one once before. Yeah, I, I hear a, a bunch of that. It, it definitely is not what the media portrays it as. Um, but my interest in true crime and um, human behavior was always there. I think it started as with an investigative capacity, but working with offenders in the community through grad school was something that let me really um, go hands-on with working with these individuals. And it was really interesting to just turn from observing them and their behaviors and learning about that to actually working with them in how to keep from reoffending in the future. Do you notice that that actually happens where they get kind of rehabilitated so that they don't repeat when they get out? Absolutely. Especially with offenders who are convicted of sexual offenses, the reoffense rates are much lower than people think. Um, if you could put a percentage on it, what do you think the reoffense rate would be? For those actually get Just out of check. prison, I mean, um, mm -hmm. gosh, I would probably now that you, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go sixty <laughs> and think that it's probably more like okay. forty. Um, yeah, I mean the the average answer is between fifty to one hundred percent reoffend. If you break it down by types of offense, it's a little bit different, mm -hmm. but generally it's about fifteen percent. Really, overall, yes. So once I learned that, I thought, oh my gosh, it's so low. What can I do to make that even lower? And so that's when, on a case by case basis, you start working with individuals that. The odds are they're not going to reoffend, but those that are higher risk, we're doing everything we can to help teach them skills to not do it again. Wow. Are you finding that there's, this is probably a loaded question, are there ways to know that you're on the path to being that type of individual? Or is it always sort of a random, like, eh, it just sort of happened? Well, it's it's divided kind of into two main categories, if you can think of it that way. There are those that have deviant sexual interests um, that they are born with or they discover some point in their life that that's what they're sexually interested in. Mm -hmm. And the two main categories I would say would be like a sexual deviant interest in violence um, or prepubescent children. Mm -hmm. But then there's other things like exhibitionism. If you think of all the other types of sex crimes out there. Oh, that's true. That counts too. Yeah. Um, but there are 
a good deal of individuals, I would say most of the people I work with, where it is more opportunistic and situational, and it's a culmination of a bunch of different contributing factors. Um, and those are the ones that obviously have lower rates of reoffense. but then we can also go back and say, hey, let's analyze what happened, what was going on in your life at that time, and how do we make a plan that if those things come up again, you make better decisions. Hmm. Now, is that done bef- before they go into prison or it's like a mandatory part of their sentence? It's not done before prison unless they seek treatment out on their own. As far as the treatment portion and being mandated to go to this type of treatment, it comes after they're convicted, after they go to prison, and then once they're out on parole or probation. Um, oh. There are a few prisons in this country that do have inpatient treatment while you're there. But most of it starts after the fact, which can be, I mean, five, seven years later after the crime happened. So it, unfortunately, it's a little bit backwards. They're getting Yeah, that, that really surprised later. me. Yeah, yeah. With that low recurrence rate, you're like, wait, that, hmm, okay. Do you find that um, either childhood abuse or getting addicted to porn at a young age contributes to this type of stuff? Both of those are definitely contributors. Um, I would say, again, it's it's kind of a myth that, child sexual abuse leads to someone becoming an abuser themselves. There's about a third of sexual offenders who have been abused in their own childhood. And it it definitely plays a role for a lot of them in the sense that it then skews their worldview of sex or Mm -hmm. sexual boundaries. And so that may be a component in their offending behavior as an adult. And then pornography is huge, especially with individuals that commit um, offenses that are facilitated by the internet. So possession of child pornography or um, you know, soliciting a minor over the internet to meet up and have sex or something like that. Um, pornography addictions can really go down a deep, dark rabbit hole when it's a compulsive habit. Wow. Interesting. What do you find, I'm interested that you're able to counsel the family members of someone who's going to go away potentially, like you said, five years, 15 years, maybe for life. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the top things that they're worried about? I would say right off the bat, you know, they're worried about their loved one going into prison. And usually that person is not too familiar with the criminal justice system. So it's not like they've mm-hmm. been through this before. So they're worried about their loved one's well-being. How safe are they going to be in there? You know, just kind of the unknown. Everyone's afraid of the unknown. If you haven't been to prison before, that's what we work on is kind of wrapping your mind around all of those issues. So it's their their physical and mental safety and well-being is what they care about first. And then, you know, it starts to sink in a little bit. What did my loved one do and how did I not know about it? Are they a monster? And so we work on a little bit of psychoeducation about sexual offending and how it happens, things that they can do to help in the future when their loved one comes home, how they can be a part of their support system and make sure they don't reoffend, and just okay. helping and maybe being tuned into what some of those risk factors are so they can help. Now, I'd be curious if, if your loved one is going to go to prison or incarcerated for uh, 15 years, maybe for life, mm-hmm. do a lot of sp- Spouses, if they have a spouse, they just choose to just kind of get a divorce because like, I'm never going to see you again. I'm never going to, you're never going to interact with our children again, technically. Um, is that pretty high? I mean, I would say that they don't usually go away for that long. So um, if we're looking at probably like the max is around eight years for the type of offenders that I see. 
it's, you know, there are some serious conversations before they go in. What are we doing here? How are we going to still maintain as much of a family life as we can? Is that going to be through visits and phone calls and letters? Um, if there's children involved, you know, definitely it's like, how do I be a parent while being in prison? And it can be tricky and different people have different views on it. Some people don't want to burden their family at all and say, please disconnect for me. Others have the kids come and visit and federal prison, you get to visit like in a picnic setting with benches and there's toys for the kids and it is actually um, very family friendly, but you could be shipped to somewhere else in the country. And so how often are they really going to be able to visit? But the best laid plans still don't always happen. You know, you could plan to stay together and it just gets too difficult. But for those that do the shorter sentences, you know, a handful of years coming back and reintegrating into the family life is really tough. And trying mm-hmm. to be a parent when you've been absent for four years and your kids are now four years older. And um, so those are a lot of things that people need support and therapy with. Wow. I didn't realize that. So like even in the federal prison, you have a system to where you can see your family and it's not just, I watched some documentary and the guy went to prison for 30 days, the, the super size me guy. Oh, right. Right. Mm-hmm. It was just a big box. I mean, he, I don't even think he went outside for like 30 days almost. And I was just like, wow, that's prison. Yeah, they all depend. I mean, there's jail, which is usually where people go when they're waiting court or they're serving time less than a year. Um, But prison, you know, people are anticipated to be there a longer time. So there's different things to do. There's activities and school and jobs. and, And yeah, I mean, you know, better areas to visit with your family. It's not just sitting behind plexiglass. A little more humane, I would think. Absolutely. I know uh, over here, they said they have a garden. They cook their own food. They they make their own food. They really they they think we have a quote pretty decent life, except you know you just can't leave. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, you just don't have your freedom. <laughs> so as far as forensic psychologists, uh, what are I guess maybe two or three misconceptions about your profession, and then what are two or three things that you would like to highlight for maybe other people that are considering uh, going down the path of PhD. Um, As far as misconceptions, I think specifically with what I do, a lot of the time people think that we are sex offender advocates. So I'll tell somebody what I do. If if I choose to tell them what I do, I tread very lightly because it freaks a lot of people out. You know, they think that we're sitting there holding hands with these sex offenders and being their advocates and you know, kind of this hippy dippy psychology, <laughs> whatever people have worked up in their mind of what psychology and therapy is. When in reality, you know, our number one mission is the same as law enforcement and everyone else. It's public safety and it's preventing any future victims. So, you know, unfortunately, we can't predict who's going to be a first time offender. And so it's not like we can work with those people necessarily until they've already done something and been through the system. So, We are just a part of that main goal of keeping the public safe. Um, Unfortunately, it's a little bit reactionary, but that's the way it goes. We're not fortune tellers. I think the other thing along those lines is with risk assessment. So risk assessment is a big part of what I do. And it's not a prediction of who's going to offend and who isn't. It's a risk assessment. We look at the factors going on in their life, the factors going on in their offense, And through evidence-based research, we try to say who's at higher risk and who's at lower risk. And the higher people should get more treatment and should get more monitoring by probation and parole. And the lower people should get a little bit less. 
but oftentimes we're asked to predict who's going to commit offense. And I've had really low risk offenders that have gone on to commit some terrible crimes in the future and high risk offenders that, as far as we know, never do anything ever again. Again, we're not mind readers or fortune tellers. We can only do the best with what tools we have and risk assessment um, evaluations that we have. So I would say those are probably the the biggest misconceptions. Um, As far as somebody wanting to go into this, I think picking a grad school that has either a forensic tract in their program. I went to a school that fortunately they had an entire – doctorate program that was forensic psychology based. But most schools, you'll be going into clinical psychology, and then hopefully they'll have a forensic tract where you can go to your practicums, go to your internship sites, and they will be forensic locations. And that's how Mm -hmm. you get to know whether or not you like it. You know, some people, again, have the media influencing them, think it's going to be this awesome job to work in a prison or what have you, and turns out it's not so great (laughs) (laughs) to be in a prison and not be able to leave and have to leave your cell phone in the car and you can't wear jeans because the inmates wear blue. You know, there's, there's benefits and perks to those jobs, but sometimes they're not all they're cracked up to be or what you think they're going to be. So if you can get that experience at a student level when you're not dependent on a paycheck and you've made that decision to jump in and get hired at a prison, that's really the best thing to take advantage of. As far as like jobs jobs available, there's only um, so many prisons, there's only so many that probably staff you guys. So is there a pretty good chance to get a job or is it going to be more like a a private practice and you have to learn how to get connections with the different law enforcement agencies so that you're called upon for your services versus somebody else? Well, with forensic psychology, it's anywhere where psychology overlaps with the legal system. So it could be doing child custody evaluations. So that has to do with the court. It's more in a family um, division of courts, but they hire psychologists to do that. It could be working in a state mental hospital. It could be um, something like a prison, or it could be a company. I work for a private company that contracts with parole, state parole and federal probation, and then we provide the services to those individuals coming out into the community. But then I also have my private practice, and that very much has been, it, it's small. I like it small because it helps me do my other stuff that I do with family and and I like to keep diversified. So, but it has been about building connections with other psychologists. Maybe psychologists want to do an evaluation for someone, but they don't want to do the treatment, so they'll refer them to me or vice mm-hmm. versa. Um, attorneys, you know, attorneys have clients that need evaluations or need treatment or just kind of the connections with the parole agents and probation officers and the pretrial service officers. If they have clients that are saying, hey, point me in the direction for treatment, again, those are some of the areas you can get referrals. Well, I'm curious. I don't want no, I don't want no numbers, but <laughs> when you compare like a salary that you have versus just a regular clinical, either a master's degree or like the typical family and marriage person, mm-hmm. do you get paid better than they do or everybody's about the same? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, and if you want me to set it up, I know I've heard that there's not a huge pay jump to debt ratio of getting the master's to the PhD. <laughs> so there are some people that are like, student it's not worth it for tricky. $20 more. Yeah, student loans <laughs> are the tricky part in all of this. That's why it's a tough question. I would say forensic psychology can be very profitable. 
I guess like anything else, you just have to really market and be willing maybe to travel. Because again, it's a specialized population, so you might have to travel to a couple prisons. And if you can Mm -hmm. find somewhere that will um, pay for you to do that, that's great. And that could be worked into it. Um, The best money is probably going to be with a government agency, like going to work for a prison or a state mental health hospital, just because it's the state and they have wonderful benefits and they have competitive salaries. I knew that that route wasn't for me, so I choose to do a bunch of different things. So I work with my company. I have my private practice. Um, Like you said in the intro, I've taught at grad school. Um, I do trainings on the side. I still keep my law enforcement connections and do that. So it just it helps me from getting bored because I get bored really easily. (laughs) So um, but I can also work as much as I want. And if I feel like, okay, I need a little bit more income, maybe I need to promote the private practice a little bit. That's actually a fantastic segue. (laughs) (laughs) Now you can, you can answer this several different ways, whether you're talking about promoting yourself to get more uh, teaching gigs, your private practice, which is probably the one that I'll focus on. And then even for the other company, I'm guessing that they have to do their own advertising. So what are some of your, some of the ways that you would market yourself to get more clients? There's a few different ways. Again, so my private practice is very small. I've had it for a couple of years. Again, it's about networking and the connections. If you have those attorneys and those other psychologists that just know to kind of dish stuff off to you because they have too much, especially as a a new person starting in private practice, you just don't have people calling you off the hook because you're the expert, you know, so make ties with those experts. And then (laughs) when they have too much work, they can say, here, I know you do good work. I'd be happy to refer. There's, you know, something that's really simple that's, you know, sort of advertising ways, but there's um, websites, the magazine psychologytoday.com has their own website. And Mm. I actually refer clients to this when they want a specific type of therapy is you can go in there plug in the type of therapist you want, plug in your zip code, and it will pop up with people with that specialty near you. That's how I found my own therapist when I was in grad school. You know, there's lots of internet type of um, search engines that you can market with and that people go to because people don't know how to really get started if they're reaching out to go to therapy for the first time. So, you know, I like to put myself in their shoes. And if I were the loved one of somebody facing prison or, you know, uh, somebody facing a sex offense, oh my God, where do you reach out for help? You know, that's, that's a really tough thing to market for. Or if you are the person trying to seek help for that, you know, maybe just the normal therapist or even sex addict therapist isn't going to be able to really specialize. Yeah. You're not asking your buddies that, right. that question. Hey, who do you, yeah. you know, in general, most people aren't asking that kind of question. Like, Hey, who do you go to your counselor? What? Well, uh, you know, you, uh, you're depressed and you have a horrible marriage. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't want to see one, right? Like, and nobody wants think to share about, that. Like if it had to do with sex, that's even more embarrassing and shameful and what people don't talk about. So, yeah. you know, I think in the future we need to destigmatize sex a little bit more in this country because when people are hurting and they need help and maybe even before they harm somebody or have harmful behaviors for themselves and their, their relationship, um, if they could seek that type of help, that would be, you know, a really wonderful thing rather than us just kind of shaming them into never coming forward. You know, I'm a big proponent of 
taking care of yourself, whether you're reading books by psychologists, you know, for yourself, or even like if you're getting to get married or in those kind of relationships, it's okay to go see a counselor. You know, it's a completely different field right here, but it's okay. Go learn some skills, especially if you find yourself already bickering and doing things that aren't healthy. <laughs> sure. Go for, go. That way, and if you have a relationship later on, if things do get crazy, you have a kid, you can have somebody that kind of knows your background, where are you from, what's going on, and, and get the help that you need and just can carry over to just about anything that you Absolutely. have trouble with. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, mental health, also, we all know that it does carry a big stigma as well. And if we treated it like going to the gym and keeping our bodies healthy, therapy could be seen in the same way one day. Agreed. I'm uh, going back real quick to the marketing. Would you suggest just literally walking into different attorneys' offices, shaking hands, trying to maybe take them to lunch, and just this is who I am, this is what I do. You may need it. Has that mm-hmm. been? A, have you done that before? Is that helpful? Um, I haven't. What? But what I would suggest would be um, like going to the court and going to the public defender's office. You know, that's something that's really easy to do. Stop mm-hmm. by the public defender's office. Hey, here's some cards. If you ever have clients that are seeking therapy, you know, they can give me a call. And that's that's really a good way to do it. There are courts. If, if someone is more into like evaluations and doing the psychological testing for people going to courts, usually mm-hmm. different counties, at least here in California, have panels that you can get on where the courts will then kind of refer out you could always seek something like that as well but as far as the therapy part yeah just getting in contact with public defender's office is a really good way to do it and I could, like you said i think it's great that you're diversifying because i can imagine the wrong politician comes in starts chopping budgets and all of a sudden you're like ah, i had a job for 20 years and now i'm done so. absolutely okay what about you five-year 10-year goals how do you know if they're worthy of your pursuit what's, what's on the docket you know, that's kind of been on my mind being that I, this is going to go on my 11th year of working in sex offender treatment. I'm a big proponent of self-care and preventing burnout. I've done a lot of research in that area, and I work with my students who are coming up in this field on that. And I've kind of been taking an inventory lately and deciding, you know, what's next for me because I I love what I do, but I don't want to be in a position where I'm burnt out and now I'm kind of stuck. I think goals are great. And I think that I actually am going to change directions a little bit. So I have some things in the works. I don't want to talk about them (laughs) yet because I don't want to jinx them. Um, And they're not for sure. But I actually might, might take a different direction in forensic psychology I'm definitely going to keep my private practice. So that's another great piece about having it on the side is that I can keep my toes in that pond. But yeah. It's so do you not prescribe to the uh, put it out there in the universe and letting the positive energy come into your life by sharing? Um, I'm curious. I'm giving you a hard time. You don't, have to, you don't have to dive into it. But I thought that was kind of interesting getting jinxed in your psychologist and there's all these foo-foo put it out no, there people. No, I'm terribly superstitious. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I am – 90% sure that I'm moving on to something else, which maybe I can come back and do a podcast on that. Please do. Congratulations on whatever it is, though. That's cool. Thanks. But yeah, I mean, I, I, it's tough at this crossroads in my life to think about, wow, I've invested so much time into this. And mm-hmm. I have found a place where I really love teaching new students and being mentors and being a clinical supervisor and passing on that knowledge. But at the end of the day, you know, I have to make sure that I'm happy and healthy and there will always be other people coming up that can teach them. And so I'm actually really interested in 
being the newbie again and learning something new and learning from other people. And yeah, just again, adding to the diversification in the field. Yeah. So you mentioned burned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The audience could be thinking to themselves, you kind of glossed over the fact that she works with sexual offenders all day. We didn't even talk about what it could be. I mean, it could be a person doing something horrible to like an infant, to a five-year-old. It could be a serial rapist doing unthinkable things and maybe doesn't even have guilt over it and just talks about it. How do you shield your own heart, your own brain from such potentially horrific things? Mm-hmm. And like you said, that, that's got to contribute to the burnout. So can you address that a little bit for maybe other people in your field or for just curiosity's sake too? Sure, sure. Um, so all those things you mentioned, yes. I mean, on a daily basis, I'm either reading about something like that in a police report or talking with the offender about the offense. I know that I just happen to be a really good compartmentalizer. So I don't know if that comes from my background in law enforcement or if it's just kind of a natural part of my personality. But I'm able to be present and in the room with the person and working on whatever our treatment goals are, despite these terrible things they may have done. And again, keeping the goal in my mind of this is for the greater good to find out what happened to prevent um, any future offending. I very rarely bring it home with me. Sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes you have these intrusive thoughts about this terrible report you read or, you know, the smile on offender's face while he was retelling his story to you. You know, that stuff is going to bother you. We're human beings at the end of the day. It's kind of twofold. I think having creating a work environment where my staff, we are able to use each other for self-care, where We can have a really terrible session and go plop down in someone's office and say like, oh, I just need to talk about what happened. It's nice because in a clinic and with the staff, you can talk about um, a little bit more because confidentiality is in place because those people all, we all work together. And so we, we sometimes work with the same clients. So we can talk about a little bit more detail oriented, I guess, about what happened or how it's making us feel. And so we keep an open door policy at our office. We have lots of time during the week where we kind of check in with each other. We um, call them process hours where we will just come in and talk about, you know, if something's bothering us or just a client is being really obnoxious and how do I handle this? And we just kind of bounce the ideas off each other. And then we do trainings on how to prevent burnout and how to how to deal with these things that may come up. And I still don't think we talk about it enough. I know You're as yeah, I mean we try to be proactive, but I know when I had my child, I had no idea it was going to affect me like it did. I thought I will be fine. And fortunately, at the time, I worked with two wonderful female psychologists who had had children and been in the field. And I sat down and I talked with them and they said, yeah, it's rough. You think about things you never thought about before, but it will go away. We promise you. And it did. I mean, after time, it it kind of dissipated. Um, But I wish someone had told me that beforehand had kind of given me the heads up of what to expect. And we have a lot of good research in the area, just knowing that all different types of professionals who work with this population, how they can be affected from judges to, you know, court reporters in the courtrooms. You don't think about all the people that hear this and it may affect them. So, you know, it's keeping a workplace that is really supportive and then a home life as well. It's a little tricky with psychology because you can't come home and talk about details of stuff because of confidentiality, but at least in 
my home, I'm married to a homicide investigator. So he deals with some heavy stuff as well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but so I think that's our common bond. You know, we can come home and, and talk about stuff from work and how it's affecting us. And we're both kind of coming from the same place. So it's, it, it doesn't freak out the other person when we're talking about something. But he also needs his people at work that he can talk to. Maybe he doesn't want to bring something home. So it, it it's definitely a balance. And I think we always need to keep updated just as professionals on how it can affect us and try to prevent that as, yeah. as much as possible. And I think this is true. Like when you're in school, you get taught how to do some of these things as a foundation and you have to go to your, from what I was expect, uh, was told was you have to do your own counseling. I mean, part of the schooling is actually to go through all your own crap. <laughs> yes. And processing a lot of stuff so that you experience what the client's going to experience in different fashions. Is that still true? Yep. Still true. Um, when I graduated in 09, we had to do 30 hours of individual therapy with a licensed psychologist. So that's a good yeah, day. it was it was great. You know, I went in there thinking, I don't really have anything to talk about, except for maybe how stressful grad school is. And then of course, just kind of life things came up if I was going every other week or once a month. I mean, that's a good amount of time if that's 30 sessions. So yeah, stuff came up. And it was, yeah, it was great to talk with somebody about it and have that sort of unbiased person to bounce it off of. So it it was good. I mean, I still think back to my therapist and how wonderful she was and some skills that I would like to still have and aspire to. So yeah, yeah. it was a great experience. Very good. Well, I like to talk about, because you're talking about burnout, talking about all these type of things. You have a blog. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. <laughs> um, so it really started as just kind of a way to have a travel diary. Traveling is really important to my family. And I thought, I need to document all of this somehow and go back and do our past trips and have something that my kid can look back on. And being in a digital age, I mean, what mm -hmm. better way to kind of do it ex with, except with blogging? And then it, it really turned into, I was noticing how a lot of my trips, especially these last several years, five years, seven years or so have revolved around work and how I have been able to make that happen to go to some really wonderful destinations around the world and do it in the course of my work. I, I like to present Explain at that. conferences. So, oh, okay. so there's, there's usually national and international conferences in any field, but right. specifically in sex offender treatment, we have our share of them and forensic psychology and, I really kind of got the bug for it in grad school. I had a wonderful dissertation chair that came to me with some research that ended up being my dissertation. And he took myself and a couple other students that were working on the same topic. And we went to Australia and presented our mm. research. It was just an amazing experience. And so, of course, we were in Adelaide for the week. And then my husband and I took another two and a half weeks to go visit more of Australia. Cause if you're all the way over there, why wouldn't you? <laughs> uh -huh. And it was just, it was so great. So I found that people that were my students and that I work with were like, how do you get to go to these great places and how do you do it while weaving it into your work? And so it's really the best platform. I mean, to be able to go to a conference and learn and see what's up and coming in the field and stay on top of things and then also get to travel and go to some really cool places. 
So, Hang on a second. Let me see if I got your blueprint for this correctly. Sure. You got to have continuing ed. Y'all call it continuing education. Y'all might call it something else, but it's same essentially thing. the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you got continuing ed you got to do. You have to take off of work. Typically, a lot of these professional companies give you the time off to do that because you have to. Now, I know some of these places will do in-house or local, but if you plan your vacation to go around a conference, is that what ABC Right there. I think that's it. Pretty much. Pretty much. What I always like to do is, you know, conferences are in great destinations anyway, because they want people to come. (laughs) So every doctor, are you listening to this? This is how you go to cool vacations and you just spend an extra week. This is how you do it. Absolutely. I like to call them side trips. So I will usually Mm -hmm. schedule another place to hit up, you know, depending on how much time we can take off from work and how much time we have, yeah, I'll sneak in another place or two as well. So we had, I was in a, a, had a conference in Copenhagen in September and I had been dying to go to Aarhus, Denmark. We did both. I brought my husband, I brought my kid, I brought my sister. She was my nanny for the trip. Yes. My husband and I could have some date nights. There's usually, you know, some conference dinners and things like that, but I still wanted my daughter to come. She's five and she's, been out of the country more than I had by the time I was 20. Exactly. So we just, we had a wonderful time. Yeah. So on my blog, I kind of talk about how I do that, the blueprint, like you said, and then how I set up some of these side trips. So now with the blog, it's turned into a bit of not just travel, which is the primary purpose of it, but it's turned into, you know, career tips and mentoring and tackles topics like how do you narrow down the field that you're interested in and how do you find somebody to mentor you you know i would say guided towards people in college even grad school that are kind of starting to narrow some stuff down but i've mentored students as young as still in high school and wanting to figure out what they want to do that's very good i mean that's a great way to give back and i don't know feel good about yourself as well so what what was in oahu or arohu denmark (laughs) (laughs) Was that, you're like, yeah, I really wanted to go there. Like, why? <laughs> What's over um, there? Well, so this year, 2017, they're named one of Europeans' cultural capitals of, of Europe. Ah. They have some wonderful museums. They are right on the coast. And one of my favorite Netflix series is filmed there. <laughs> it's a Danish, oh, which one? It's a Danish series. It's called Dikta. And it's, oh. a, um, it's like a crime show but it's on netflix and so i got to see a lot of the city in the show heard all these other wonderful things about it saw some write-ups and travel and leisure and it just looked like a really cool place to go so we took the train up there it's about three hours from copenhagen and it was a wonderful little side trip i saw a show on netflix called bruges not a great show i wouldn't recommend watching it but the city i I want to go now so bad my that's like my number one bucket list is to go to bruges at Christmas time. Oh. I'm hoping to do that in the next couple of years. But how fun is that? Because if you see it, you know, you're like, this is where they shot this part of the movie or this is where that scene happened and it was really climatic and this was really cool. Yeah. I actually, we stumbled across a couple of filming locations while we were in our house. They weren't filming at the time, but I was, right. our hotel was right on the same block as the police station where they film. And I was like, oh my God, there it is. I know that. <laughs> and here I am. Selfie time. And it's kind of funny, when we were in Copenhagen, I saw the main actress, the star of the show, just when we were out to dinner one night. And I thought, oh my God, here I am all the way from California. And I ran into this lady. <laughs> Did you get a picture? No, I didn't want to bother her. 
I'm from LA. Living in Southern Cal, I guess you yeah. would know. <laughs> Do y'all see a lot of celebrities just kind of hanging around and it's pretty common? There's a lot of celebrities out there. Yeah, they're they're kind of everywhere. I mean, if you're in LA proper, it's pretty dense. So um, you'll see somebody wow. somewhere. That's good. Way to constrain yourself. <laughs> So we kind of talked about most of these things. So let's see here. On a day-to-day basis, week to week, how do you start to have a home and work-life balance? I don't know how I got it so good, but I really I only work three days a week at my main employer. So that's wonderful. <laughs> you know, talk about the heavy nature of my job. I think that really contributes to my mental well-being. I have four days off, and I usually do a little bit of private practice on those days off. You know, spend as much time with the family as I can. When the family's busy, then I go and spend time with my friends. And we tend to socialize with people that are in very diverse jobs. So we're not constantly talking about all of this heavy stuff that we both do. So that's yeah. a really big part of self-care too, is getting outside of that when you're not at work. Okay. So you're married. Mm-hmm. Give us a hint. What are something that you can do to with your spouse to make sure that the love stays alive and that you guys don't like drift apart over over time. So we're going on 13 years. Ooh. You know what we did this last year was we started doing this hiking challenge here in Southern California. It's called the Six Pack of Peaks. So it's the six highest peaks in Southern California. It was just so amazing to set out with this goal with him. You're literally hiking for eight or nine hours a day and it's just the two of you on a trail. You can talk about deep stuff. You can talk about the random stuff that just pops into your head. (laughs) Um, Talk about whatever you guys need to work out for the week or what you have to do at the house. It was just so nice to have this huge block of time that you're spending together doing something really wonderful and challenging and accomplishing it together, but just having the time to just talk or not talk, just to walk next to each other Mm -hmm. and not talk. And um, fortunately, we have a wonderful family that's able to, you know, babysit for a full day. Um, but that was, you didn't wear on your no, bench? No, no, no. I could barely drag Come myself on. up there. Um, <laughs> so we, we finished this great accomplishment. And, you know, it just it did kind of start out as being about the challenge. Um, but I think at the end, I'm, I'm really grateful for the time that it gave us. And so aside from traveling, which were really good travel partners. Thank goodness we travel well together. It was just a really neat way to kind of get in this and do something together, but have this wonderful quality time. So I think just changing things up like that, you know, that's not something we're going to do again this year. I mean, we'll still continue to hike, but, you know, we'll find something else that's kind of a challenge, but that we can do in our free time together. Very good. Let's see here. Do you have any sort of morning or lunch routine that just excites you or grounds you for the rest of the day? Um, not really. I would say coffee. Coffee is my passion. Yeah. <laughs> my other passion. Um, I saw that on your social media. Yes. It, um, <laughs> strangely, it is very relaxing to me to have the ritual of having my coffee in the morning, but it's stimulating at the same time. It kind of just gets me going. And again, working three days a week, I'm kind of up, you know, life's crazy, getting the family out of the house and then getting to work and then coming home and getting home around seven o'clock at night. So those three days are pretty packed. I mean, there's not a lot of time for luxury routines in the morning. That definitely just comes with spending time with each other on my four day weekends. When it's his job, he's got to be just, you got your store, sort of your normal hours and then probably on call. Yeah. Yeah. A lot as well. Yeah. Fortunately, he 
you know, there can be weeks of just kind of the normal schedule. And then the weeks that he's on call, he may not be home for the weekend, just depending on how hard they're working on their investigations. Mm -hmm. Throughout the day, even in a regular day, we just like to keep in contact with each other. Um, You know, whether it's a quick text, or if I'm on my way home, and I call to say, hey, I'm on my way home, and he's cooking dinner. You know, I think it's, it's just tactful to kind of keep each other in the loop and let you know that the other one's thinking about each other. And if it does come to those weekends where he just lays in bed and then he has to get up and go to a call, you know, we don't feel completely out of touch because we keep in touch throughout the day in little bits and pieces. Very good. I am curious because there's so many ways to have coffee. <laughs> what is your style? Do you have the international delight with the cookies and cream inside? No or you got ketones way. going in there? Black. Black coffee oh. is the way to go. You don't need to ruin it with any cream or sugar. Um, All right. This interview is <laughs> over. This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, you know, I do love my specialty, specialty coffee shops too, and they have some good concoctions. So, But usually yeah. it's got to be at least one good, strong cup of coffee with nothing in it my brother he was in the navy and he said that's when he learned how to drink black coffee is mm-hmm. when you're out to the sea after a while you just run out of sugar and cream yeah what are you gonna do and you've got this addiction he's like <laughs> you gotta you drink it black and he's like yeah, you get used to it but i guess you could really observe the flavors and actually can tell you no this is a horrible piece of coffee oh absolutely and this these beans are just delicious absolutely <laughs> all right here we go. Favorites. You got books, blogs, podcasts. Do you have any that you secretly love and some you just have to share with everyone? Oh my gosh. I'm sure everyone knows about it, but my favorite podcast is called My Favorite Murder. Um, so it is two gals here from LA and they love true crime and they are hilarious and they basically just kind of read off a different murder story every week. Um, some are really well-known famous ones. Some are totally obscure ones from the Victorian era. But they are hilarious and is such a wonderful way to have this interest of mine and hear it in such a light way. It's really cool. I love it. They are just hilarious people. And it's funny to see. I mean, just to, it's wonderful to see how successful they've been. But all these other true crime lovers out there just seems like they're coming out of the woodworks and they're like, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one that had this weird obsession with true crime. (laughs) But it's really great. It's like on the top. There's a podcast on everything. Yeah, it's on the top um, of iTunes for comedy all the time. So I think it's been out. Oh, okay. Man, that's amazing. I'll have to check that out a little bit. Yeah. Good for driving. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Any books or anything like that? You know, I haven't been reading any books lately because I've been kind of studying up for this new endeavor that I alluded to earlier. So I've been hitting mm. the the academic books again. On that, which is there a is there like a self help book that I don't call it self help per se, but that you know, like, yeah, everybody should probably read this. Either just it's very helpful. It's it gives you insights inside your own head and how to maybe manage your time or manage your thoughts just to be a better person. Anything that comes to mind when I say those types of words, like an overall here, you, you got to read this book. So you're not such a ignorant person. <laughs> no, but I think being. you and I should write that book. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, I, I, not the top of my head. I can't think of anything, but the, Perfect. 
the one book um, that came out this last year that I now that I gave some time to think about it is a book of short stories, which I'm kind of new to. Um, but it's mm. called Dodger Blue Will Fill Your Soul. And it's by Brian Allen Fierro. And it's I'm a huge Dodgers fan, Los Angeles baseball here in California. Oh, that's sport. Yes, okay. that's sport. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the the book, bring a book to those the games. Book's not, oh man, we do have this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, it's not about baseball. It's it's a, stories oh, okay. about people in the Los Angeles area, and it's it has the thread of baseball, maybe in the background on the radio or on the television, and it's just beautifully written. You know, I used to be, again, so into true crime and fiction stories, and it's really nice to read a beautiful piece of work that is short stories, which I haven't really been into before. So that's kind of neat. That's good. So last question, any apps on your phone that you just love to use on a regular basis? Absolutely. So um, Snapseed is what I use to edit all my photos for Instagram. Yes. Yes. Snapseed. Snapseed. Can't live without it. Um Digit is a new financial um, app that I've been using. So it's all done through text and emojis, which might freak some people out. But you can set up accounts like a rainy day account and goals. So like we're going to Maui in June and I set up a goal amount that I want to save. And what you do is you give it access to your bank account and it will pluck out little pieces at a time that you are stashing away in these little accounts. So it's working out well. I give it good reviews. Is it kind of like one of those, it rounds up your spending up the nearest dollar type of thing? Something like that. Yeah. Based on what your balance is, it'll take a little piece out. Um, But I can say that I want to spend X amount or save X amount for this vacation by this date. And so it'll make that happen. Wow. But at any time you can pull it back out if you need to. So um, what else? Oh, Hopper. For airline flights, Hopper is amazing. It You put in your dates and where you want to go, and the algorithms will tell you the best time to buy the tickets. And it's been spot on for like the last two years and trips I've done. Come on. Yes, it's great. I, I had I downloaded it once. I definitely have it in my uh, used-to-own right? <laughs> list on, on the iPhone. Oh, that's really cool. So that's what it does. It doesn't buy your tickets. It just kind of gives you the heads up. You cannot buy your tickets through it. It will link you to that airline if you find one you like, but I'll tell you, it gives you the best algorithm. So it'll say, um, you know, the price is this right now, but if you wait three more months, that's the best time to buy, but don't wait three months in one week because it'll go back up again. And it's been pretty right on. So, huh. I'm looking at that because I travel a ton. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. Well, Dr. Shiloh, yes. what a great hour. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's fun to talk about the work that I do, and I hope that a lot of people find it interesting and know that you know you can do some really heavy stuff. I mean, a lot of even um, you know different types of work that doctors do. You're not around the happiest stuff all the time. So people usually aren't coming to you when they're in perfect shape and fully, you know, happy and fulfilled. So we all can deal with that stuff. But, you know, being able to find ways to give back and to keep yourself diversified and happy in what you're doing. So you're not just collecting a paycheck and going to an office every day. I think that's the best. So happy that I could get that out there for my field. Absolutely. How how can people get in touch with you? My 
website. The blog is, um, if you just Google a distant mentality, you can find it there, but it's a distant mentality.blogspot.com. Um, on Instagram, it's a distant mentality and Facebook, same thing. A distant mentality at gmail.com. It's a good way to get a hold of me. Boom. There we go. Well, wish you the best of luck with your, uh, not even luck. Cause oh, I say that and it's not luck because you actually have to work at it and you have to create your own luck. So Congratulations on whatever it is that you're going to next and uh, succeed in 2017. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been in and I'm pretty sure the guests have too. What a fascinating career choice that you made. Somebody to be able to deal with with what you deal with every day is to be commended. And I'm so glad that you have a partner that you are able to uh, share that with. I almost said partner in crime, but that is way too cheesy. So I will not. Thank you for your tips all about texting throughout the day, hiking trips. That's pretty cool. There's lots of ways I think people can implement that to help their relationship, whether it's hiking or, you know, be creative, do an art project that takes a while. Uh, you know, it takes a while to complete. So I really appreciate your, your advice on that. As always, travel tip is coming up at the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Want to make you aware of a couple of things. A doctorsperspective.net. We got a few things to talk about. We've got some free handouts for nerve pain, numbness in the arms and legs, and also a 12 exercises if you're experiencing back pain and want your core stronger, you experience some neck and shoulder tightness and pain. These are free to download. Okay. It's under resources. Also under the resources tab is my new book, Needless Acupuncture, Self-Treatment Guide for 40 Common Conditions. Stop the hurting with no needles or meds, your roadmap to self-treat your condition painlessly. We're talking things like anxiety, insomnia, neck pain, back pain, uh, possibly some knee issues, stomach issues, tired, arm and leg pain, even a little bit of sinuses, toothache, all those types of things. This book really is for those, they're busy, they don't have time to drive to an office, spend an hour, and go back to work. All right. So it allow, this book allows you to do it from, the, from your own house. It's also for the person that maybe doesn't have an acupuncturist within like a 90-minute drive just to go see one. So that's pretty inconvenient. It's also for the person who is afraid of needles. So there's alternatives to that method that we show you in the book. And lastly, for the person who's like, I really can't afford as much care as I need. So this is a way, invest in a book, and now you're able to do it at your house with pictures, with words, and even videos. Things that I've learned from working in China, Western references, Eastern references, and practical experience. So check it out. I think you're going to like it. The first book, Today's Choices, Tomorrow's Health, again, is version 2.0. We got everything from what is chiropractic, what is pain, some exercises, some stretches, lots of lessons learned from my time in China, like portion control, is it okay to feel hunger, secret recipe. Heck, and I love talking about it. I even got a whole section on finances, like budgeting, creating a budget, how to scale back if you overspend, which is a huge problem for most people. So I'll cover that. It's got some really good reviews. So hopefully you will take a look at that. You can get it as a PDF for free or you can pay for it in different areas. Lastly, of course, we've got some chiropractic tongue-in-cheek t-shirts about being a mixer. You do rehab, you do adjustments. You think the adjustment's really a powerful thing, but you also believe that you need to do muscle work and those types of things. We got some pretty cool shirts, mixers, and under the resources tab as well. Well, as always, wherever you listen to the show, if you rank it five stars, that would be awesome. And of course, on the top right of the website, there's all the social media icons. Pick your flavor, follow me, interact, and I interact back. If you got any suggestions, email me. 
travel tip this week. Take your continuing ed at cool places. We talked about it in the episode. Just want to stress it. You know, the other day someone said you could take a cruise and learn about marketing. You're not going to continue to it there, but that's still pretty cool. But there are huge conferences in other countries, in other cities that you can go to. Take an extra day or two. Friday, Saturday or Saturday, Sunday, take the take the hours that are necessary. Then the next couple of days, go tour just like she did. I think that's a fantastic idea, something I will implement. And really, I've always had to travel for my CE based on where I live and my schedule. So I've seen parts of the country that I normally wouldn't have seen, which is kind of cool. But I yet to do the European one. So that'll be on my bucket list. I hope you guys get and guys get to uh, scratch that off your bucket list as well. Why not see Amsterdam and do a conference? Sounds perfect to me. We just went hashtag behind the curtain. And this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on adoctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.